here we go. Hello and welcome to A Bit Spursy, the deadline day edition, although I guess when you're listening to this, it will no longer be deadline day, unless you are our very special guest, uh, Adam, uh, <laughs> who is in the past, um, uh, literally because he's in Manchester, who has been very kind to uh, give us his time today. Um, Adam has uh, Juve podcast, uh, Turin Giants, and uh, a book that he wrote, Juventus, A History in Black and White, which is pretty impressive. Uh, thanks for coming on, Adam. No problem. It's quite easy to write a book about history when you're living in the past. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just happening around you. You were just writing what yeah. was happening. Yeah, that's wild. Um, obviously, the reason why we have you on, Adam, is to chat about uh, Paratici and our two new signings, which I assume are pretty much confirmed now, um, aside from the club actually saying so. Yeah, well, yeah. I feel like the club is probably now preparing their elaborate signing video. Um, although I've seen that teams, some teams aren't doing that now. Like I think Luis Diaz of Liverpool, it was just a sketch <laughs> of him in a Liverpool shirt. So uh, I'm a bit sad about this this transfer if we don't get these like sort of, you know, crazy elaborate videos to sort of, you know, build up the hype yeah yeah I, I mean i want like a like the bail one i'm pretty sure they entered that into sundance uh, it was there was so much going on so much production value um i'm avoiding saying either player's name because i can't pronounce either but dan i know that you <laughs> you can do you want to hit us up yeah so we have kulisevsky and bentonker i think i've i've said those close enough um and i was gonna say barney as well we've got brendan here back hmm. do we did we did yeah, I, yeah, yeah, that was introduced. Oh. Yeah, Brendan. Oh, oh, I'm well oh, on the on the air introduced. Yeah. Um, okay, we'll go for it. Yeah, introduce him. Uh, we've got Brendan, a uh, Liverpool fan, uh, just here. Just you know, uh, loves it. Loves the deadline day, and we don't know if he's here to support all the Spurs comings and goings, or or if he's here sort of as an undercover, just to I don't know, enjoy our misery. No, I'll give objective views as opposed to your subjective. Um, sure, <laughs> sure, sure. So, what book have you written, Brendan? <laughs> Um, all about the Turin Giants, actually. Uh, yeah, we're, we're competing at the um, <laughs> at your local readings. Yeah. Oh. oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Place. Yeah. Um. So I think. Look. We. Yeah. As far as we're concerned, we've got uh two players we've signed from Juventus. Now, Adam, I'm not sure if you're that familiar with like how t- um sorry Spurs fans are so you know, operate on Twitter. I don't know why you would be, but uh, they it's mayhem. And there's just sort of so much outrage there has been for this whole window. And it seems like there's so many of the fans who are never that happy. And even after signing these two players, there's, I guess, a lot of people are saying, oh, no, we're just signing Juventus rejects. We're signing players who aren't that good. Uh, and we figured, like, we actually wanted to speak to someone who knows what they're talking about with it. So I guess we could start by maybe, I don't know, hearing your sort of thoughts on um on Kulisevsky and Bentaker, and I guess, yeah, whether you think they are half-decent players that we have signed here or whether we are just sort of picking up U- Juve's scraps. Okay, so you've you've signed two Juventus rejects who are not very good. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> no um, I think if we if we take uh, Kulisevsky first, um, in 1920, he was the Serie A Young Player of the Year. He was at Parma on loan from Atalanta. Um, and Atalanta, obviously, we know that 
they've been really exciting the last few years. Their um, their style has been really a revelation for for Serie A because they they play a, a more Premier League up tempo, attacking, high pressing kind of way, and that that's become much more prevalent in Serie A since. Atalanta broke out but Kulusevski never really fit at Atalanta he had a couple of brief sub appearances but they quickly sent him off on loan to a club where he could shine and he did just that they sold him to Juve for for 40 million even though he'd, he'd never really played for them so it was a great a great profit for Atalanta at Juve he's really been a, a victim of circumstance in that he came under um, Andrea Pirlo who couldn't really find a, a position for Kulusevski. He's a left-footed winger who likes to operate from the right-hand side, but Juve also signed Federico Chiesa in that same transfer window, who's a, a right-footed winger who likes playing on the right. And obviously they have Paolo Dybala, who you've been linked with for, the, it feels like, the last three deadline days as well, Spurs, yep. um, who's a, a, a second striker who likes to operate a little bit towards the right-hand side. So it's... It, it it really pushed Kulusevski. He played a little bit in midfield. He played as a second striker. He played as a right winger. He, he never really got a consistent run in a consistent position. And that's carried on this season with Max Allegri playing a, a kind of 4-4-2 sort of framework that, that really didn't leave him any space either. So he's, he's never really found his best at Juventus. And unfortunately, as... As, as somebody who watched him shine at, at Atalanta, I don't really see where he... Uh, at Parma, sorry. I, I don't really see where he's going to fit in in Antonio Conte's 3-5-2 at Tottenham either. That that would be my one concern because if you have Kane and Son as the two, where does that leave Kulusevski? You know, I know Conte kind of adapted that a little bit and went to more of a, a 3-4-3-ish at, at Chelsea and a little bit at... Um, at Inter with Christian Eriksen playing in as one of the three in midfield. So maybe there's a, a way you can get Son and Kulusevski in the side at the same time. But we know with Conte, he doesn't really like changing. He hates rotating. He's allergic to cup competitions as well. So I'm, 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 I'm at a bit of a loss as to where he's going to fit in. But it, he's a very, very talented winger. But now he's gone to a manager who doesn't play with wingers. It would be my my analysis on Kulusevsky. This is not going as well as I hoped it would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I find that uh, very <laughs> valid. Thank you very much. But uh, we've seen, to much uh, of our fans' frustration, more of a 3-4-3 than a, a 3-5-2. And every <laughs> single time we roll out the two at the top, we look a million times better. Um, and so that makes me even more concerned that we're going to see more 3-4-3 uh, uh, to try and fit, you know, be it Lucas or um, uh, Kulusevski, yes, um, into the uh, squad, and uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want that. <laughs> so, yeah, but see, I see. I guess I wonder, like, um, it it doesn't feel like we've had a really, I guess, I, I, like a really competent ball carrying right sort of winger or midfielder for a while, and. I think that's what I'm hoping that Kulusevski kind of can offer a little bit. Um, like he's someone that, like I guess even last season we had, you know, Bale coming in and, you know, again, a player who likes to play from the right is left-footed. Uh, doesn't yep. have the pace, obviously, that he used to have. Um, but I understand, like, is that sort of a way that Kulusevski could play 
um, in our, yeah, in I mean our that's that's where he's at his best. To be honest, in a in a front three playing on the right is 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 his favoured position and his best position. And if if you want to know how good Kulusevski can be, Zlatan Ibrahimovic raves about the guy. And apart from himself, Zlatan very <laughs> rarely praises anybody, does he? So <laughs> yeah. he's obviously he plays for Sweden, Kulusevski. So he. It's his compatriot, but Zlatan's full of praise for Kulusevski. And you can see why he really is a quality, quality player. The only concern I would have with Spurs is where he fits. If if Conte is trying to play with a three rather than a two up front, that makes perfect sense. So in that regard, he's 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 the right man for that. And he's he's very, very good in that role. So if if that is the the plan, then I, I guess I guess then that that would lead on to to talking about Bentanker, who, if you're playing a three in midfield, he's great. But if you're going to a two, maybe not as much. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but he, he he can he is that kind of player where he can operate in a two as well. He's he's not at his best when he's just asked to sit and hold in front of the defense, which is what Juve have been trying to shoehorn him into almost since he arrived. For for Uruguay, Bentancur plays um, a little bit to the right of uh, Lucas Torreya, who was at Arsenal and is now at Fiorentina. He's he's the holding player in front of the defence for Uruguay. And Bentancur plays off the side of that. Um, he isn't the most... I, I, I mentioned this on a, a, an Aston Villa podcast when he was seemingly signed and definitely going to Aston Villa <laughs> last week. So just just to rehash that, if you play at three in midfield, you tend to have the the guy whose job is to be the most defensive player, don't you? And then you have the, the more attacking midfielder and then you have the other guy. Benton Kerr's at his best when he's the other guy. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, 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 it kind of... If you play with a three, Bentancur's ideal. If you play with a three up front, Kulusevski's ideal. <laughs> Maybe you struggle to fit both of them in at the same time. But Bentancur has played in a two-man midfield and and can, does have the skills to do that. He's a very versatile player who was asked to do too much at Juve in the past couple of seasons, and he's just not that guy. They've struggled in midfield with, um, as we I said before, with Ramsey and. And with Pjanic and Artur has struggled since joining from Barca. And Max Allegri really, really likes Bentancur. And I think the, the inability to offload, there was rumours that Artur was going to be moved on, but I, I never really believed that. They paid 75 million euros for him from Barca. So it's it would be a very expensive player to give up on after one year. Um, they, they have Adrian Rabio, who's on an expensive contract too. So it's almost like they're sacrificing... Bentancur in order to recoup some of the money they've obviously just outlaid on on um, Dusan Vlaovic. So I, I don't think Juve wanted to sell Bentancur, but they kind of had to uh, out of necessity. He's a, he's another very talented player who's kind of lost his way a little bit over the past year, but certainly is good enough to, to thrive in a, a very, very good team. All yeah, Tottenham. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was waiting. I was like, "Good team." But this is a Spurs podcast. What are you? What, do you know where you are? Um, no, I. Um, I wonder. That sounds much better to me, uh, especially because we've got uh, Pierre Milhobier, who you know at the Euros is a, seemingly was a completely different player to what we've <laughs> seen. In that his best for us has been being that sitting midfielder, um, screening in front of the centre backs, and then. 
every time we've asked him to play a more dynamic role or be the other guy, it's never sort of worked out as well. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I get what you mean about <laughs> if, you, if we've got a three or a two, like, yeah, it just seems like it, it, two buys that we're not going to be playing in the same team, um, which is odd. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you could, but I think then you're asking yourself, is Ben Tanker really one of your two best midfielders would be my question. Uh, mm. Obviously, I don't watch Spurs every week. I don't know, but it, 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 and obviously you have to have squad depth. It's a long season. There's still five months left to play, blah, 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 all of that. No, even Antonio Conte can't play the same 11 every match as much as he would obviously like to. Mm. Um I, so obviously there'll be some rotation and Kulusevski can offer you an option off the bench if you're only playing a front two and all of that. It it, it, it does seem strange that they don't really fit in the in the same system, but I think they, they would. Benton Kerr can comfortably play in a two-man midfield. I think he's better as that third player in a three-man midfield. And obviously, as I already said, Kulusevski is better as the... Uh, in a front three as well. So it it kind of negates their strengths if they're not playing in that system. But because Conte is certainly not going to play 4-3-3 anytime soon, you know, it's that's that's definitely one thing that will not happen. So it's it is a little bit strange. And the 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 couple of times that um Conte has had wingers at the very start of his Juve tenure back in obviously we're talking 11 years ago now, back in 2011, he had Milos Krasic, who'd arguably been Juve's best player the year before. And they also signed a, a young Dutch winger, um, Eljero Elia, who played for the, the Dutch national team at the time. Yeah. And, and Conte just booted both of them into space. He, just, he didn't want to know <laughs> at all. He, he tried to play 4-4-2 for about half a game and then stumbled into this 3-5-2 that he's played ever since, really. And, and ever since, has not gone anywhere near... A, w- a winger, really. He he played Eden Hazard much more narrow, didn't he, than 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 anyone had before, and and that's continued when he went back to Inter. He played Ivan Perisic as a wing back after sending him into Bayern the first season. He then brought him back and played him as a wing back. So he's he's as allergic to wingers as he is to knockout <laughs> cup competitions. So yeah. I, I'm I'm not really sure, and I guess that brings us to in a, a, a ultra-professional segue to the man who's done the deals, Fabio Paratici, right? Whoa. That was unbelievable. Yeah. The man himself, Paratici. We'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, him and his time at Juve. Yeah, I I think it, Fabio Paratici was the... He was entitled the sporting director when he first came to Juve in um, 2010 with Beppe Marotta, who's the... Well, his title is something like the CEO for football at Inter now. Um, he's the, the the general director. Is the the old fashioned Italian term for it. And when Paratici was the sporting director responsible for identifying talent and and agreeing deals for younger players, he was excellent. Um, he he made some excellent signings. He found some. Bentancur, getting Bentancur was almost as a, a throw-in to the, the deal that took Carlos Tevez back to Boca Juniors is exactly the kind of thing that, that Paratici did so well when he wasn't the, the man in charge. And I think you can you can kind of see he's gone into a similar role at Tottenham with obviously Daniel Levy as being the, 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 the big boss and, and Paratici operating below him. 
the Paratici's struggles came when Morata left for Inter and he was the man in charge. I think, yes, obviously he did some incredible business in signing players like Matthias De Ligt, but that's kind of a, a no-brainer, isn't it? If, you're, if your boss gives you the money and you can go sign the best young defender in the world and, and Cristiano Ronaldo's talked him into joining before you even open up talks, it's, it's kind of an easy one. I think the, the criticism I would have of Paratici is he struggled to build a squad with a, a, a vision for, the, for where they were trying to go. There's... There's a lot of good players at Juve who don't quite fit together, as I, I mentioned before, with Dybala and Chiesa and Kulusevski. And there's Juan Cuadrado to add into that as well. It's it's a bit of a logjam there. And then there's not really anybody to play on the left wing and there's a struggle at left back and all of that. And and um, he's so he's, he's clearly very good at identifying talent. I, my question is, does he have the... The overall, I suppose that when we talk about that bird's eye view, seeing it from ten thousand feet, can he can he look down and put a, a squad that makes sense together? And that kind of feeds into the idea of Kulusevski and Bentancur are very good players, but how do you fit them both in the same eleven when Antonio Conte is your manager? Because that's exactly the kind of thing I'm talking about. If I'm going to criticise him, is yes, Kulusevski is a great right winger. Bentancur is a great play in a three-man midfield, but you've got a manager who is going to do one or the other. He's never going to play 4-3-3. So you've kind of created a problem, even though you've signed good players and a good manager. Do you know what I mean? There's that that one one question mark is how does it all fit together? And that that's certainly been a, a, a criticism of Paratici's time when he was in charge at Juve. Well, is Paratici someone who just, I guess, just gets an absolute rush when he gets a deal over the line? Um, because like looking at, say, for example, Luis Diaz, who like undoubtedly like a, a, a good player, but still, you know, technically unproven at like a top league. Um, but you have to think like Luis Diaz is, you know, likes playing it off the left. Like we've got Son, <laughs> you know, who's, uh, sort of occupying that position and you have to wonder like, where would Luis Diaz fit into there? So I think when we got those sort of links, it seemed like a little bit left field for what we were expecting as the sort of players that would. Uh, that we we desperately needed. Like there's been a lot of talk about needing a right back, uh, needing to definitely to strengthen central midfield, a left-sided centre-back. And then it seems like, you know, we're off going big on on Luis Diaz. So I just kind of wonder, you know, is Paratici someone who maybe gets caught up in the deal-making process a little bit too much? Like was this an opportunity where Benton Kerr was on the table as well and he's like, yeah, you know what, we'll have him as well. Let's uh, Let's just do a combo here. Yeah, I think but rather than thinking he gets caught up in the deal, I think it's the talent more than anything. He's great at identifying, especially young, good young talent. He's great at that. That was his forty when he's with Morota at Sampdoria. He brought that in at Juve as well. And he's he's excellent at it. But those questions about, oh, you've got a weakness at right back and a weakness in central midfield just sounds so, so familiar to me, to be honest. It's 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 like talking to your, your Liverpool fan there about a German guy with glasses and a good laugh. You know, it's <laughs> it's very very familiar. It, Juve need some strength at left back. They need they've needed some good midfielders since probably since they sold Paul Pogba to Manchester United in in twenty sixteen. So not seeing those problems, but still doing deals for great players elsewhere sounds very very familiar. I'm I'm writing a, a column about Juve 
selling Kulusevski and Bentancur and, and not doing this, not pulling the trigger on this contract for Paolo Dybala yet has been a real sea change for, for Juve from what's gone on in the past where they've had, they've signed good players on, on expensive contracts and then struggled to move them on and struggled to fill weaknesses in their squad. Um, and that, listening to you guys talking about what Poratici has done since he arrived at Tottenham, it, it seems to be carrying that on. And you look at Juve and they they signed another left-footed right winger in Douglas Costa from um, Bayern Munich. That was still while Beppe Morata was at the club when he came in. Um, he signed in 2018 on a four-year contract, played two seasons, went on loan to Bayern at no cost to Bayern last season. He's on loan at Gremio back in Brazil this season and his contract runs out in June. So it's a, a 40 million euro signing who played two years of a four-year contract and Juve recouped no money. You can you can do that over and over again with, with expensive players that Juve have signed while Paratici has been around. Higuain signed a, a four-year contract, played two years, went out on loan. Um, sorry, signed a five-year contract, went out on loan at, at Milan and Chelsea for a year, came back and was basically Ronaldo's backup for um, the nineteen twenty season and then rescinded his contract and went on a free to into Miami. So and that's a, a 90 million euro player who you've you recouped 18 million from in those loans, but and you let him have a free transfer. We see it now with Aaron Ramsey who was available on a free and that does Aaron Ramsey really fit in at Juve? Are you really getting the best of of Aaron Ramsey when we know his injury history, you're signing him at, at at least in the midst of his peak years as a professional, allegedly. And he's only he's not going to get less injury prone as he gets older, is he? But you give him he's the most high he's the highest paid player at Juve right now since since Ronaldo left. And I say I say highest paid player. I suppose I should say highest paid employee because <laughs> if, if you're a player, you have to actually play, right? Yeah. And he's He's not played 90 minutes in back-to-back matches since he arrived at Juve in 2018. So that, again, that tells you, clearly a talented player available on a free, oh, give him a big contract, here we go, to to quote Fabrizio Romano. But yeah, he's <laughs> he, he's very good at identifying talent, Paratici, but the the deals themselves and then the... the, the overall squad building plan would be big, big question marks for me, I think. I think as well, like this window maybe represents like a different challenge for Paratici that he hasn't had in the past because like you talked about DeLitt and obviously Ronaldo before that and countless Mm -hmm. top talent that he's been able to come in and get. But it it sounds like in this window that he hasn't had first preference on a lot of the signings. It seems like Kulisevsky and Bentancur was sort of down the list and we've got late in the window and, and he's had to swoop despite what you say about Luis um, Diaz, like I think that was probably like the number one target. And what he's probably found, I think, at Tottenham is that maybe you're not top of the list with these players. I think that's going to become an issue for him potentially. Um, Well, we hear a lot about um, Paratici as well as someone who likes to negotiate with, you know, 10, 15 different players um, for a position. And he sort of, as soon as one falls away, he's like, all right, fine, we'll pull the trigger on someone else. We'll go in there. So I think you could be right with like where these players fall in the list, but it's also just very confusing and and hard to know when it does seem that we're like, we're we're suddenly in for this player, then we're in for a player in a different position and then this and then this. And it does seem a little bit sort of scattergun 
Uh, and maybe what you're saying, Adam, is like, if if uh, Paraji sees some talent available, um, he's like, you know what? Oh, let's go in for them. Let's let's start talking and see what we can do there. Yeah, I think so. I think I think as as football fans, we we're all a little bit guilty of oh, why is he signing a midfielder when we need a left back? Right, the the transfer window opens. You know, you need a left back, but why are they talking about signing a midfielder? And I think in most cases, you. The deals are done when they can be done. You know, you might have a, a left-back, but he's he's gone on holiday with his family or he's away on international duty or whatever the case may be. And you end up, you sign a, a right-winger when you wanted a left-back or you've signed a third-choice goalkeeper who you, nobody knew you actually needed, that kind of thing. I think with Paratici, though, those are, are, are genuine concerns because, as you said, you, Spurs need a right-back. And it's deadline day, but you're talking about signing a, a right winger and a, a central midfielder. I think that that really is where the concern comes in. I think as as fans, we're often all guilty of of not seeing the bigger picture ourselves, and we want the biggest problem addressed first, and then the next biggest problem, and we want to see the number one target signed every time. I'm not even sure in most cases that clubs have. Like with Bentancur, you Spurs already have some decent midfielders. You need some depth. You need maybe a third player, whatever it may be. I'm not sure that kind of signing you have a, a, a clear cut every time. You have a clear cut number one target. We have to get this guy. He has to be our fifth choice midfielder, you know. I think in those cases, you can have a list and you can do the best deal and you're happy with whichever player you land. But I think with, with Paratici, it's too long for me from from Juve now and, and from listening to you guys talking about him at Spurs. It, it really is, is he just, does he have a, a big board of these are good midfielders, these are good defenders, and then he's kind of got them ranked, whatever, the most talented player I could possibly sign is Luis Diaz. Oh, he's not available. Oh, what about Kulisevsky? Yeah, I can get him. They don't play the same position. They're not the same player in any way. They don't have the same characteristics, but hey, he's a talented footballer and we need talented footballers. And I think that that overall plan of how do they fit my team and where does that leave us with these other contracts and the manager's tactics and all of that, I think that kind of gets lost on him a little bit. And I know that might be dumbing it down and doing him a disservice, but I think there's enough evidence now from his time at Juve and, and, and since he's been at Tottenham to, to to genuinely flag that as as a concern. And is he just running around signing the, the most talented footballers he can, which is a, a strange criticism to make of somebody whose job it is to sign talented footballers, right? But you also want these other issues. You want to sign a right back. You want to sign whoever. What's the plan for succeeding Hugo Lloris when, when his time is eventually done? And... And and sometimes we do get caught up too much in those details with Juve. It's, is Daniele Rugani really good enough to be a, a fourth choice centre back? But you're really fretting over strange details. But ultimately, those details matter. And we're sat here on another deadline day, and your clearly your your positional concerns have not been addressed. And yet here you are giving Juve sixty five million for for two players who were on the fringes of their squad in many respects. Yep. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's a very familiar position for us, I think. And um, it, it's funny that if we have indeed ended up with um, a, a director of football that replicates seemingly the transfer uh, criteria or the, the mode of operating that we have had for 
like <laughs> seemingly centuries where it's like, he's good, we'll sign him. Um, like without mm-hmm. any kind of, you know, thought about, well, we should sign this player because he, you know, the whole you know, Conte thing about, oh, let's balance the strengths and weaknesses of the squad and all this kind of stuff. Um, there's been a sort of a bit of um, within the, on the Tottenham side of things, interesting takes around, well, with with Pochettino, he wanted very specific players and sometimes we couldn't get them and then he'd be like, well, sign no one then, I don't care. Um, and whether with Conte, it's like, oh, well, we can sign players and he's going to make them work. And then the uh, the example that gets referenced every single time is Victor Moses at Chelsea. Every single time you, anyone mentions Conte, mm-hmm. they go, blah, what about that Victor Moses? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool, but... That's one play. <laughs> That's I know he's improved other players, but that is mm-hmm. the, the the shining example, um, and that worries me quite a lot. Well, I, I think you can find plenty of other examples. To be honest, mm. you know, Leonardo Bonucci was a, a horrendous defender in his first season at Juve, and and Conte found him a home in the middle of his back three and and turned him into one of the best defenders in the world. You know, so there there are plenty more examples than Victor Moses out there. I think. As, as from a, a Premier League perspective, yeah, Victor Moses is clearly the one where you can say, look what he did with this guy. But mm. I think the the one for, for all I've I've berated Fabio Paratici a little bit and, and said he's got this flaw and this flaw. The the one thing that I would say is he's not he he was very much in the background when Conte was at Juve. He wasn't he wasn't in charge in, in any regard whatsoever. He was he was Beppe Marotta's assistant to all intents and purposes. And, and Marotta very much drove the transfer strategy with a, a little input from Antonio Conte. And then towards the end of his time at Juve, and definitely since, Antonio Conte's input has become much more vocal and much more public. And I think Conte Conte is not a manager who will just make it work. He's a, a manager now in, in 2021 who has a very clear idea of what he needs and isn't shy in telling everybody what it might be. I think there's a, a real disconnect for, for me as a as a watcher of Italian football in the, the Antonio Conte that you see in press conferences and, and in interviews in England compared to that Antonio Conte that basically everybody in Italy seriously dislikes because he, he comes to England and he he's making jokes about um oh who was it? Oh who was it he was joking about eating cake at, at oh, Chelsea and, and making right. fun of him. Yeah yeah like oh uh, Diego Costa Diego yeah. Costa was it was it nice cake? Why didn't he bring me any? He would never make that joke in Italy. He would probably storm out of the press conference and go and punch Douglas uh, Diego Costa. <laughs> he probably punched Douglas Costa as well, to be fair. Um, but he, he's he's a very angry, very determined, um, very focused, and very vocal manager who plays three five two and wants players who fit his three five two, and he doesn't really care. To be honest, he doesn't really care how good they are as long as he's got the bodies to put in that position. <laughs> I, I mentioned before he turned Ivan Perisic into a, a, a left wing back. The starting left wing back at the start of last season when Inter won the league was Ashley Young. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he Ashley Young's a, a left wing back. We'll play him. And he didn't care. It worked. And they won the league. You know, yes, Perisic came in by the end of the season, but... They wanted a left wing back, so he signed Ashley Young because, well, Morata signed Ashley Young because 
he was an available left wing back who knew how to play in a 3-5-2. So he went and got him. He's, there are countless examples of that. He signed um, Damian, from, who'd been at Manchester United as well, because he'd played in Conte's 3-5-2 for Italy. And Damian was excellent. And he, he basically made Ashraf Hakimi, who's probably arguably the best right wing back in the world, he made him sit at the start of last season and watch... Um, Matteo Damian, that's how you play wing-back. You need to learn how to defend. And he he went on TV after a game where uh, they basically won with two assists from Hakimi. And they were like, oh, Hakimi played well. And he's like, well, he needs to work on his defending. <laughs> and and not, not joking in any way. Like, yeah, okay, he got two assists, but he's a wing-back. He needs to be able to defend first. And, and he's like, he's, he's so clear in that. And he's so focused on having players who do their job in his system that, it wouldn't surprise me if, if before today is finished, for for us who are still living in the past at least, <laughs> that that Spurs go out as well as Kulusevski and Bentenka, if they suddenly sign some random wing back who has no business being at Tottenham as far as we're all concerned, and then suddenly is the starting right wing back and plays thirty games between now and the end of the season for Conte and and looks like a world class player because. That's just what he does. He, he he finds these players who have the traits to fit his system and makes it work. He he consistently overlooked Jorginho for Italy because what, what do I want a guy who makes 100 passes for? I want a guy who'll run and tackle and, and do the hard work. <laughs> he he threatened to quit Juventus because they sold Emmanuel Giaccherini to Sunderland. You know, and he was, Giaccherini was his backup right and left wing back at the time. He was a nothing player. And he, he was like, you can't sell Giaccherini, it's ridiculous. And he, he threatened to quit over it. He he threatened to quit at Inter because they didn't sign him the right players and then they signed him the right players and they won the league. He threatened to quit and then did quit when they had no money, you know. he's He will he will make very clear what he wants to Paratici and you might see he signs Kulusevski because he's available, but he'll also sign a... a, a, a a, a target man to back up Harry Kane and a, a random fullback who has no business being at Tottenham but suddenly looks like a, a quality, quality defender because that's what Conte wants. So as much as I can have concerns about Paratici, if I if I wanted to find a manager who will who will make sure that he has success with Paratici as his sporting director, it would be Conte because it, it, even if it ends up being, well, okay, you signed him for you, like Christian Eriksen, who didn't fit Conte's system, but was available cheap and could then be sold. You, uh, obviously, we know what happened in the long term, but if if everything went the way it should have done for Tottenham, for Inter, they would have made a massive profit on Christian Eriksen, right? You know, mm. they, they signed him cheap. Mm. He looked great. They could have sold him for a high profit. That's probably what you can do with Kulusevski. But, Conte is, is so good at, at getting what he wants and then getting the best out of those players to say, he, he, the guy went to the, the quarterfinals of the Euros with Graziano Pelle and Adair as his strikers for Italy, you know. He 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 beat Belgium with how great Belgium was supposed to be, you know, and, and we, can, we can have concerns now about Belgium's failure to deliver when it matters. But this is five years ago when they were still the everybody's dark horse to win every tournament that, that happened, you know. Mm. So he's he's a, a great manager at, at signing these players who you think, oh, well, he's maybe a five out of ten and suddenly he's a seven and a half out of ten every single Saturday, you know. That's that's what he's great at. And and that, that for me, looking at the, the combination of Paratici and Conte, that 
that negates every weakness that I might have or every doubt I might have about Paratici because Conte won't tolerate it. He'll either get the plays he wants or he'll quit. So as long as Conte is your manager, you, you shouldn't really have any concerns about the transfers because he'll get the players he wants. He always has. Yeah. I, I think as well, something that stands out to me here, um, when we're talking about Conte wanting players who basically will do what he wants, like when we watch him now on the sidelines, I find it quite funny that he's literally pointing to where the next pass should go. And it's very yep. big, very animated. And you can see when the pass doesn't go there, he gets pretty annoyed with yeah. it. Um, and I think yeah. for a long time, like Spurs fans, there's, I guess, a sense of entitlement from a lot of thinking we want a big hundred million pound signing. This is what we want. Mm -hmm. This is what we want. This is what we want. But you kind of have to look and go like the most successful players we've signed so far, like Romero would be one who's like the, he's been injured. So he hasn't had a chance mm -hmm. to sort of fall through on his promise yet. But apart from that, the most successful players we've signed have kind of been cheaper ones, which have then sort of like blossomed into something else. Like you take mm -hmm. Dombele, you take Lacelso, now two players who Conte is frozen out and gone, get rid of them. I want them gone. I want them gone because they don't follow instructions. Um, yeah. Like I actually, I personally do not mind if we're getting players who aren't these big superstar signings, but as long as, you know, they, they seem good enough. And if it seems like, you know, they are able to slot into the team and do what Conte wants, uh, and like you say, like take players who a lot of, you know, certain clubs might not be that interested in because for, you know, for whatever reason, they think they're a five out of 10 or they think they're a bit mm -hmm. overvalued for what, what they are. But then, you know, they're players who can come in and like you're saying, Conte can take them from a five to a seven and a half consistently. Well, yeah. And you look at, you look at the Spurs team and you think with Conte, those animated screaming at players and like I said about Hakimi you can almost look at the, the what Spurs are doing and and see that in many ways it's Conte taking away the players that he needs to scream at you know if you get <laughs> Chris if you get Christian Romero fit and into the team that's a, a player who's played in Italy so speaks Italian it's a player who's played in a back three at Atalanta and Genoa so he knows how to play in a back three he knows how to play in an Italian back three you know it's the, the attention to detail and the, the specific instructions and all of that, he already knows. Benton Kerr, the same in midfield. You've got Hugo Lloris, who knows his job, doesn't need yelling at. Harry Kane's being asked to play as a, a, a number nine target man up front, doesn't need screaming at, knows what his job is. If Kulusevski comes in to play off him, he's played in Italy, he knows the job, you know. It's less players, less players, less players. And it's funny you see you say about screaming about this pass. Watch for the for the second half of the season now. There's been a a bit of a break and Conte's got some time and all of that. Watch out for uh, the 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 wing back on one side passing to the the number nine across the pitch to the left and the other striker running around and getting the like a wall pass round the mm -hmm. corner and yeah. and scoring goals off of that. You will see at least five goals from that between now and the end of the season. It's like Conte is playing FIFA and he knows if I need a goal, I'll pull out my controller and do that. Yeah. Every single time he did it with uh, Lickstein as the right back, uh, Matri as the striker and Vucinic running around the corner. Then it was Llorente and Tevez. Then it was uh, Lukaku and um, Lauturo Inter. He had it with Italy. It's all the time. He's got this system of where to play and who should be where and it's all automatic and I think it's it's hard in January you know to make big changes I think the the big thing for Tottenham I know it's, it's awful to 
to, to say, and as a Liverpool fan sat in the middle, you probably have a shudder when I say this, but but next season, you, you can expect probably a, a massive improvement as Conte has a full pre-season with, with players who he wanted, you know. I think it, it, as the season progresses now, you're obviously you see an improvement, but I think a full pre-season with, with players like Bentancur and Kulusevski and Romero uh, playing in, in Conte's... Conte's system and doing what he wants and then the other players slotting in around that and as I say it wouldn't surprise me if you get one more player especially one more player who's already played for Conte before or has played in Serie A at some point I really wouldn't be surprised by that as the, as the deadline approaches you know it's, it's we've got what five six hours left now I think um, and I, I, I think it, it, it really wouldn't surprise me if he makes a hard push for a, a wing-back from somewhere who's played for him in the past and, and knows the score already because he does love that playing by remote control. You know, the players know exactly what to do. Pilo's spoken about it at, at great length and in great detail about you always knew where everybody was going to be. You you knew when the ball came, what pass you were supposed to play. And, and, and for all that sounds stupid and basic and simplistic, Conte's won... League titles with Juve, with Chelsea, with with Inter. He he got rid of the craziness that was Inter and that dragged them down for so many years, and just eradicated that in two years and won the league. You know he's he's brilliant at that. Juve were horrendous the two seasons before Conte came. It's easy to forget that now, and he, he's so good at that that any concern I might have over over Paratici or over how Kulusevski fits or whatever. Bentancur, I have no doubts with Bentancur, you know. I think his rugged style coming from Uruguay, playing in Serie A, playing in a three-man midfield, I, I have no problem thinking and going to England. I have no concern that, that he'll thrive under Conte, none at all. He's never going to set... He's scored two goals in his entire time at Juve. He's not going to set the world on fire and suddenly have... 10 goals and 10 assists or anything like that. But he'll be a seven and a half out of 10 every single week. I'm, I, I I can almost say that with with certainty because, because he's going to play for Conte and, and and going to 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 play in a league where I think his skills really work and he's getting away from Juve where the pressure's really got to him in the past two seasons. And I think any concern over Kulusevski, he's on loan with a, an obligation that you have to sign him if he plays 50% of the games. If he plays 50% of the games, he's probably going to play 90% of the games and be really good. Or he'll be like Los Elso and he'll be frozen out and back at Juve and it, it costs you five million to have a look at him, you know? And, and what does that really matter? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. You have linked your segments so professionally and then <laughs> circled back so beautifully as well. Um, is there anything that you would love to, or like rather to, to plug um, before we uh, let you go? Uh, the the Curve Culture, Culture newsletter, you can subscribe to that. The the link is in my bio. I retweet that regularly. Mm -hmm. um, the the Turin Giants podcast, obviously, and my, my regular column at Forbes, all of which you can you can find on Twitter or Facebook. Just just search my name; it'll come up easily enough. Um, and 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 thanks for having me on. I don't I don't think there's anything else to to really say. It's Two very good players, maybe not sure how they fit, but if anyone's going to make it work, it's it's the guy who you've got screaming like a lunatic on the sideline every Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Well, this is really great. From the from the start of what you were saying, Adam, I was starting to get quite concerned <laughs> and quite worried and I was going to, you know, ask at the end or like basically plead, is there a silver lining here? Is, is there some sort <laughs> yeah, of positive? The, but there, I think There is. It's Antonio Conte. Yeah, okay. and I think from what you've said, it sort of, it gives a really nice sort of balanced view 
for us because as Spurs fans, like we, you know, a lot of us aren't aren't that familiar with Conte and what he's done. We know like, oh, he won the league with Chelsea, but we, we really don't know about sort of the whole, the journey and the entire philosophy as much as, uh, you know, people who, you know, follow Serie A a lot more closely. Um, and so I think this has been a really nice sort of balanced view to, um, to sort of, yeah, quash any concerns because there's, you know, certain Spurs fans jump on and they do a Wikipedia search of Kulisevsky and they complain, oh, look how many goals he got last season. Rubbish. We need someone else. But, you know, it seems like these two players, if they're playing in a more automated system with Conte um, and they're sort of, they're doing their job, they're following their roles. Um, yeah, it's it's nice to know that yeah. we can believe in that and there's going to be some positives there. Definitely. So they'll, they'll either do their job with Conte or they'll, they'll be sent packing rather swiftly, yeah. Or he'll kill that's, them, as he says. He <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, thank you very much, Adam, for coming on. Uh, that was a great chat. Uh, but now we can get stuck into our second guest, my favourite guest that we've ever had on A Bit Spursy. It is the man himself, Brendan Pinches. Brendan, it's so lovely to have you back. Finally, we can talk about some Liverpool news. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Brendan sitting there <laughs> uh, the whole time. Well, yeah, we can finally talk about the way that you stole our player. <laughs> yeah, I like how Dan sort of dropped there halfway through the interview. Oh, yeah, we didn't really want Luis Diaz because he sort of doesn't fit into the system. Come on now. We've all watched the highlights. Luis Diaz. <laughs> Oh, no. electric. No, no, no. I don't mean I didn't want it. I think just as a club, it seemed like very left field. Like, um, but seeing him, as soon as we were linked, I was like, yeah, I'll have him. Um, but it just seemed so surprising because we had not spoken as a club at all. <laughs> I'm talking as if we all got together and spoke as a club. Um, <laughs> we did. There was this huge AGM. It was a nightmare. It was a nightmare. Yeah. We just hadn't really heard too much about a player like Diaz or especially a player when we've got, you know, someone who plays from there. So it just seemed sort of very random, but it seemed like one of these opportunistic buys of like, oh, if this player's on the market, you know, you kind of got to have a dip at it. Um, but it's just so funny seeing like, you know, various Spurs fan reaction to it um, about how there's so many criticisms coming out of like the same odd rhetoric about like Levy and oh, dragging your heels, not just pulling the trigger on a deal, trying to haggle all that sort of stuff. But then actually looking at the whole sort of situation and realizing, no, 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 Liverpool were, were tracking this guy for a while. Liverpool wanted to sign him in the summer. And, you know, Liverpool's um, sort of scouting department said, hey, if you get an offer for Diaz, let us know. Because, uh, you know, even though we want him a bit later on, we might snake in. Well, I think as well that Diaz was one of those clear examples of a player clearly putting himself on the map against the club that signs him because um, Porto played Liverpool in Champions League and he ripped Liverpool to shreds. Liverpool was still dominant, but Diaz was clearly like the best player on the pitch. Mm. Um, but I guess I'm interested in what you guys think of all the players going out of Spurs. I, I find that the interesting part about, about um, the window. Well, I think like it's reached like perfectly in terms of transfers. Uh, especially in terms of uh, Endor Bele and, and even less also to that to that point, the patience even from the most patient defending fans <laughs> has run out and it's like, get rid of them. We've had enough. Um, I've seen photos tweeted of um, Endor Bele uh, going to the airport or go, going to Lyon um, 
uh, going to the airport or going to Leon. I don't, he he's just he's somewhere, uh, and he's tra- he's the caption is like goodbye, and it's with, he was with someone else, and um, <laughs> all the comments underneath are like, "See ya, I'll drive you there if you want." Like <laughs> from all these weird old men, but um, yeah, I, I definitely feel and I feel like both Dan and I have been very patient with both of them, um, but. Yeah. I think it would be an incredible graph to see, like, the emotional support of Ndombele from Spurs fans through his history at the club. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was obviously, like, great excitement, dipped a little during that all or nothing, wasn't playing, and then mm. at, at the start of this season really started to rise again, had a couple of incredible games and then has dropped off. And, yeah, I, from the outside it definitely looks like it's sort of just got to the point gone through two managers, patience. Four managers. And Dombele. Yeah. Is that right? Poch. Okay. He was signed as... Yeah. He must have been right at the end of Poch. He was right at the end. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Four managers. Yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> it's impressive. a lot. And I think like, you know, what Barty's saying is right. That, you know, we've... Like we were very supportive of Ndombele and the Celso for quite a while. But then it, it just got to the point where you just can't keep sort of like hoping that it's going to turn around. Um. And I think, you know, there are certain fans out there who were calling for their heads long before it was fair. Um, And, you know, we've spoken on this podcast before about like the constant like lazy rhetoric and this, that and everything else. Um, But it's, I I guess you just go, we don't know. Like we don't know how these things are going to go. And at at their cause, there are good players there um, in both of them. Um, But, you know whether they're just not really sort of that equipped to play in the Premier League regularly. Like Lo Celso seems to be very brittle <laughs> since he got here, but he wasn't really, um, didn't really have too many injuries beforehand. And, you know, we know, for example, someone like um, Dembele, when he left to go play in China, um, it was because his body couldn't do it anymore and he wanted to play in a less physical league. Um, which on that note, like Kieran Trippier kicking up some dust, um, in his recent interview after signing for Newcastle, he was talking about, oh, I can't believe why oh, Spurs let Dembele go and, yeah. and everything. And it's like Dembele wanted to go because he wanted to keep playing yeah. and he knew that he couldn't keep up with the pace and the um, the physicality of the league anymore. So I wonder if Lacelso kind of falls into that camp. Um, but it's one of those things. It's just a disappointing way that it's ended. But at the same time, you know, we couldn't really have known when we bought these two players because before they came to us, they both looked like, you know, incredible. I think as well, the thing that came through in that conversation with Adam is that Spurs have connected with a manager that is not willing to take any um, concessions when it comes to players like Ndombele and Lacelso, And maybe a, um, a less strong-willed manager like Nuno potentially would have said to Levy, give him a chance. Let's give him a few games. I think I can, I think I can turn him around. I think I can get the best out of him. Whereas Conte's probably taken a look and said, he's, he's not my type, get him out. And (laughs) Conte, I think maybe more than any other manager in the world, you know, has that clout. Yeah. I mean, I've been uh, shocked at how quickly he has managed to, boot our record signing and then one of our most expensive signings ever uh having been here for not very long at all but i don't want them get rid of them and then, especially and, for levy because levy's so conscious of the dollars like he would not want to sell at the bottom of the market oh absolutely i mean he i i guess i think enobele is going 
It's a loan with an option to buy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's option. It's so confusing now because, like, you know, the, the invoke thing in world football at the moment is a loan with either an option or an obligation to, mm. to buy. And it's very easy to lose track of, like, how long these loans are for. Like, I think the, the Kulisevsky loan is 18 months. Mm-hmm. And then with an obligation to buy once certain things are met, like once, you know, um, that certain amount of games or if we qualify for Champions League. And so I think it's very difficult to follow, but I'm pretty sure in Dombele's with an option to buy, which Leon were really pressing for, um, interestingly, as mm. opposed to you'd think Spurs would be the ones pushing to go, we want an obligation to buy in this, which is basically the equivalent of like putting a player on a credit card. And it's like, we want him now, but we'll worry about the cash later. Mm. I wonder if that's because they think he's going to come back to Leon and crush it and then his value is going to skyrocket and then they're going to have an option to buy him at, I don't know how it works. Maybe, maybe it just is the market value or it's pre-agreed as to how much he's going to be. Who knows? Well, I think the option to buy usually ends up being at some pre-agreed value. And Mm. I think you're right. Like Spurs could negotiate a higher option to buy compared to an obligation to buy, Mm. which would have to be a lot less. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, with on Lacelso, I'm I'm quite sure he he has the bones of a bird uh, in that they're hollow. <laughs> um, it's like unbelievable. He had no injury problems. He came to us. He's constantly injured, and then fine to play in Argentina. Plays in Argentina, comes back with uh, either the injury he had before he went, or a new one, <laughs> and like. I I get it, like, in terms of it could just be coincidence. It could be that he really values playing for Argentina. But as a fan, you're also like, God damn you, bird man. Like, it's so annoying. He does strike me in some sense, LaCelso, as a player that maybe doesn't really want to play for the club at times. Like, Mm. I don't know, like, especially, like, the way he's used, he's never first choice. He's always off the bench. Like, I don't know. having a little bit of experience in that type of role within a football club, it's not that much fun. Like, mm. And I do wonder whether maybe it's more fun for him when he goes back to Argentina and plays, you know, in a system that maybe he's, he's better appreciated. I'm not sure. Yeah, where he gets to play with, you know, random dudes like Messi and <laughs> Dybala <laughs> and he's a valued part of the system. Uh, they worked it out. Yeah, I think that's totally it. I, I remember when he had his like one sort of, well, now his only uh, good spell for us during the Mourinho, it would have been sort of lockdown. I think it was lockdown era or was there still fans? Um, anyway, he, uh, Mourinho came into the clubhouse. This is in all or nothing. And Gio's like, um, uh, I'm, I'm fine. And Mourinho's like, no, rest, rest. And then he's like, I will I will do anything for you to Mourinho. And Mourinho's like, I know, I know. I was like, whoa, what was that? And it's so quick. But we've never I've never seen that LaCelso since then. Um, so he might maybe he's really upset that Mourinho's gone. I don't know. Well, I guess it is it is probably like a challenging situation for players to um I guess have so many managers that have come through the door and they think that maybe they start just winning over favor with one um, and playing. Okay. And then the manager goes and then they've got to start from scratch again. And cause we know when Conte came in, you know, he said, he's like, any player is like, they can impress me. That's fine. Like I'm coming here with no, um, you know, um, previous thoughts on who should be in or out of the team. It was like we're now seeing Harry Winks back in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it's like, yeah, and this is not to sort of, you know, take away all the blame from the players, 
but it definitely, there has been sort of, I guess, a little bit of, um, quite a lot of change at Spurs over the last few years and constant change. And also it's taken us a while to even find any sort of identity, which we don't really have yet, but, you know, Conte is trying to sort of instill that. And to me, that's the biggest thing that I notice when we say play against like a Chelsea or a Liverpool or um, a Man City, like it, they're teams that have had their, I mean, a Chelsea, obviously Tuchel is sort of only recently coming, but they have a profile of player. They have the, they all have an identity of how those teams play. And when we play them at the moment, we seem kind of a little bit out of it. It's very hit and miss whether we are showing up with uh, a team who's going to do something that day, or we're just going to drop right off. In some respects, it's good because it gives Conte, Conte and Paratici two windows to create a team in their image, you know, um, as opposed to even if he came in at the start of the season, he would only have a couple of weeks to to assemble players. At least, you know, even if the benefits are not seen in the next six months, it's another window where he's been able to form a squad. Um, but what do you guys think about Deli Ali? Do you think he should be sold? Do you want him sold? What's the what are you hoping for at the end of the window? I think it's time for him to go. I'd never want him to leave. Um, but <laughs> I'm not seeing as many funny Deli Ali videos now. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not seeing as many interesting uh, clips of him doing weird signs in the back of uh, back of serious interviews. So in that sense, maybe it is time for him to go. Yeah. The joy has gone out of his game and his life. I, it seems like it. Yeah, yeah it seems like yeah. it. Yeah, and it looks like, you know, Eric Dyer has left him behind. Their mm. bromance is kind of dead now. Like Dyer's sort of very serious and sort of, you know, sort of committed to what he wants to do. He's got the veggie patch. So that's <laughs> See, I think when I say I want Deli to go, it's more just like I want him to go for the sake of his own career at this stage. And... Not saying that just to sound all like, ooh, like, you know, or like, oh, how wonderful, what a, what a wonderful fan I am. But I just mean that, again, he's someone who has um, struggled overall in the last few seasons and like, he, which is difficult because when he first came in, he reached such a, you know, high level at such a young age. Um, but I just think that he needs to be going and playing at a team where he is one of the stars of the team and a team that's willing to kind of build a formation around him and his specific skill sets. Because I think if you're playing him like, you know, off um, off sort of a, a traditional sort of number nine or off another striker in any way, um, and he's, you know, he's getting his late runs into the box and he's got more of a free role in terms of that sense. I think, you, you know, that's where he sort of shines. And I just feel that we're never going to see him sort of play in anything remotely like that um, under Conte. So I just kind of feel like for the benefit of the player, it's time for him to, to you know, to, to leave and go somewhere else. I thought that's why it was interesting to see the Everton interest with Lampard going into Everton because if I, I feel like there's a bit of a synergy there between the way Lampard played and the way that Daly has played his his best football. It's it they're midfielders, but they're scoring midfielders clearly. Like it's on like Lampard when he played, it was he would almost seem anonymous in terms of the way the midfield played, but would would time runs perfectly and 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 score from the edge of the box all the time. And I, I feel like Ali was his best football was like that. Where he's a little bit like Tim Cahill as well, where it's like, Are you a midfielder? I guess you are, but really you're a second striker because your whole benefit to the team is scoring. Mm. I mean I found it really interesting that 
like just looking at um, our good friend uh, Fabrizio Romano, uh, tap-in merchant extraordinaire, he has reported that um, uh, Brian Hill's done, uh, Kulusevsky's done, uh, Bittaker's done, but like there is nothing. Oh, Nobele's done, but there's nothing at all about Delhi anywhere. So I just find that really fascinating because I had figured that we would be trying to get rid of him. The only thing I've seen is Newcastle might want him on loan. <laughs> it's like, uh, where's that coming from? I feel like we definitely would be trying, but there, there might just be nothing that's like at any sort of advanced stage. But I almost feel like there's probably a, like there's probably a bunch of Premier League teams who are sort of sitting there and kind of waiting and they kind of know they can, because they know that Spurs want to get rid of Delhi. Um, so they might just kind of swoop an hour or two left in the the window and like, all right, we'll take Delhi on loan. Come on, you don't have time to, to it muck feels, around. It feels like a loan move. <laughs> it feels very much like, yeah, it'd be a last minute loan to yeah. a to a, a lesser club in the Premier League. And I don't mind that either because then, you know, you do get a, not to just think of him as dollar, dollar signs, but, you know, he does get a chance to then go and play and then maybe you get more than if you try and just ship him out the door for nothing. Um, you know, or a very small nominal fee now. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I hope, I hope it's a loan because then I can still uh, live in a fantasy land where Delhi comes back and does funny little videos. But because um, uh, if you sold, that's the end of that, um, which is which is very sad. Um, it's it, I, you touched on it earlier, Dan, but our fans, Brendan, um, when the Diaz thing, so Traore was apparently a done deal, and then that evaporated. And then the Diaz thing, everyone was like, uh, who the bloody hell's Diaz? Uh, I don't want this Diaz. Portuguese league, never heard of it. <laughs> and then as soon as you guys, it was like, no, Liverpool are getting him because they've, everyone was like, oh, <laughs> Diaz, the best player I've ever seen in my entire life. Gone. <laughs> uh, taken from us. Um, and not because of and no ill will to Liverpool. It was like, Daniel Levy did this. <laughs> like, it was just the most bananas reaction. Um. So how do you feel having signed, what was it, 40 mil or 40 million euros or pounds? I think it's 40 million euro. Yeah. Uh, with an, a 15 or 20 on top with add-ons. Yeah, there's an add-on. Um, I feel very confident that he's going to be great in the Premier League and I don't say that as someone that always feels that confidence. I Like he's one of those players that I think as well because he's had experience in the in the Champions League playing against Premier League teams, there's enough uh, sort of history there or there's enough evidence to suggest that that he can play at that speed, which is always the concern with especially attacking players coming into the Premier League or defensive players, really any players, like that, that they've got enough sort of, um, yeah, well, aggression's the wrong word, but that that they can play at that pace is, is always the concern. Um, but Diaz, like, he reminds me of Neymar. Like he. Oh, here we go. <laughs> he, um, here we go. He's a combination of Neymar, Messi, and <laughs> <Yeah>. Ronaldo. <laughs> yeah. What does that? Wait, what does that mean? He evades tax. He always <laughs> injured on his sister's birthday, and I won't go into it for the third one. <laughs> Look, I think he's. I think, yeah, I think he's going to be a star, and. I think it was the perfect signing for Liverpool. He just fits that system perfectly. Um, and the fact that he's done it against both Liverpool and City in the Champions League, I think, you know, barring injury, 
he's a almost a surefire bet, I think, to be a success in the Premier League. Is he sort of the like long term replacement for Mane? I assume that's the idea. Well, I think so, and I think well, a lot of the reports have been that this gives them insurance against um, the Salah negotiations. But I think, as you're saying, he fits more in the Mane uh, role because most of what I've seen is him playing on the left, and he he's right footed, cuts in, but he's he's very both sided as well. Um, and I think Mane has has dropped off a little bit in the last 18 months. Mm. Um, what a shame. What a shame about that. <laughs> you guys seem to just kill it with signings. Like anytime you guys are linked to anybody, I'm like, damn. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who this is, but I bet they rule. Like I bet you it's going to be a huge impact. Apart from uh, Miamino, what, where is he at the moment? Well, I think everyone thinks that when Diaz was signed that he would get moved. But the weird thing is that with the African Cup, he's actually played in the last month. And he's played pretty well instead of being on the bench. So it's kind of a weird situation. He's probably had the the longest run of games that he's had in in almost his entire Liverpool career. But now with Diaz coming in, playing his position, he's probably third choice. So I'm not sure. Fabrizio would have to update you on that one. (laughs) Imagine that as a player. You're like, yeah, finally, I'm getting some games. Oh, okay. Here we go. We'll sign a player for 60 mil. All right. In my exact position. Okay, yeah. I get the message. Because <laughs> whenever I've watched him, because he was at loan, at loan, on loan uh, with Southampton for a bit, wasn't he? Uh, Am I imagining I think... that? I'm not sure. Yeah, okay. Maybe. Um, <laughs> but I, every time I watch him at Liverpool, I'm always impressed. Um, but I have such a small sample size. I feel the same I'm... way every preseason. You see him and he, he looks great. He's really technically good. Um Seems like he's he's not one of those players that seems to pout when he's coming off the bench. Mm. Um, seems to have a really good attitude, but and I, I, he's just a victim of circumstance. He's in a team that like he, he can't get close to that to that first three, and then Jota coming in sort of displaced him as well. Mm. But. Well, isn't it what um, I'm not really a huge cricket fan, but I just remember some other cricket fans ages ago going like, you know, Stuart McGill would be the best spin bowler of all time if we didn't play with Shane Warne. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 who knows? <laughs> oh, do you know? Brendan? We'll have to get another guest to confirm that. <laughs> yeah. All I know is that Stuart McGill, um, yeah, he could spin it a long way, but maybe not the same craft as Shane Warne. No. Ah, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there we go. I've been put in my place for <sighs> sport I know nothing about. Yeah. Uh, but what I'm interested, like we heard from Adam about, you know, all the intricate ins and outs of, the of what was happening at Juve from your YouTube scouting do you think that these guys are going to work out from Juve uh YouTube scouting never goes wrong like up until the, up until they play like yeah. yeah all I can say Brendan is I've learned about some fantastic new techno music and uh, <laughs> I'll be adding it to my playlist that to me is worth the experience um oh yeah it's it, it's insane I tried to look at uh like on, uh, is it Transfer Scout or uh, Transfer Net or something? And then a couple of other websites and the quality of the statistics pr- uh, provided along with people being like, let's compare these players to Tottenham's current players. And it's all like players that have barely played, players that have played every single game versus someone who's only played X many games. Like none of it to me, I'm like, uh 
Like I'm going to have to get a <laughs> stats bomb subscription or something if I want to look because it's ridiculous. Yeah, I've I've stopped actually looking at YouTube clips of players that we're getting because I think in the past it has sort of it's colored our expectations so much. And I've definitely fallen victim to, um, you know, like we signed in Dombele and you look and you're like, oh my, this is the best player ever in the history of the world. Like this is wow. And it's, it's definitely like heaps of other players like um, George, Kevin and Kudu. Like you look at yeah. clips Woo! of him and you're like, it's so easy to just like get drawn in and go, oh, you know, they're not too bad. Oh, pretty good shot on them. And then you just start forming this opinion on this three minute, like highlight reel and I've just found it's been so detrimental to to players. So I honestly haven't. The only things I've seen of Kulisevsky and Bentancur are like as you scroll through Twitter, and there's a maybe three second clip of them doing something. Um, but I thought, um, you know, I'm going to hold off, and that's why we wanted to get Adam on so that mm. we would actually speak to someone who has you know followed these players a lot firsthand and get you know more of a, a sort of in depth, balanced sort of perspective on them. Um, rather than sort of, you know, going to going to YouTube and and seeing like, you know, a player's best moments um, that might be taken over the course of two or three seasons. Uh, in my experience, players always look better with a lens flare. You know, yeah. going Ooh, across yeah. going across <laughs> the ball as as the as, as the ball flies in. Um, you haven't done your scouting unless you've seen that. I reckon Lamella was the epitome of that. Like I remember watching Roma Lamella clips and thinking that Spurs had signed. Maradona like well I he think, looked incredible well I think that's why as well like a lot of fans sorry a lot of fans were were thinking oh okay cool Lamella's coming in he's here to replace Bale look at all these clips of him scoring goals in Serie A and just sort of running defenses ragged and um you know wow and I I think you're right it's like you watch that and you go wow this is an incredible player um overall like I still like that we had Lamella at the club for for, like I'm glad that that happened and that we, um, cause he did have provide some, like, you know, some great moments for us. And, um, he was a player who, whenever he was fit, he would always like, he'd want to play. He would get stuck into games, like to see him in the North London Derby with the Rabona and then to get red carded, like, which is so ridiculous. But then also in that game, he was the one player who understood what that game meant at that time. And he was the one player who was actually really, you know, giving a shit. And I think that's why, like, you know, we can sort of look back on Lamella sort of fondly. But if we were looking at him from the YouTube clips and going, we signed the new Gareth Bale, you would definitely then be disappointed overall. Well, I think that was the reason why it took Spurs fans uh, a while to warm up to him was because we thought we were getting the new Gareth Bale because everyone had watched those clips. Um, and then he wasn't that, but he was this other thing that was so unique to Eric Lamella and it was ended up being a great signing. But if you're going in thinking you're getting bail, you know, like it was awful. Um, I the, the one thing I did want to say is that I, I have done some pretty in-depth scouting um, and I've looked up our new signings on FIFA uh, <laughs> rankings. So um, I just feel like it's a great way to just, you know, have a pass over the uh, the stats. So I'll just say Kulisevsky currently rated 80. Eh, potential 87. Ooh, that's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, weak foot, three stars, uh, skill, four stars, um, international reputation, two stars. I don't, I haven't seen that before. Um, uh, I just love Brandon. You're like, have you done anything ridiculous? Like watch YouTube comps? And we're like, yeah, no, not really. We're, we're above that now, but for <laughs> FIFA ratings, that's where it's going to be at. 
100%. Well, I mean, if real managers use FM, then Mm. as if podcast hosts can't use FIFA. Yeah, Barty's actually making more valid points than a lot of people are on Twitter right now. So, 100%. It's so easy. They do all the work for you. I mean, you're like completely at the mercy of their interpretation, but why not? That Um, international reputation must be the Ibrahimovic comments that Adam was referring to. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, for every Ibrahimovic comp, for every goal in an international comp, you get a star. But for every uh, Ibrahimovic comment, you just get a little slither of it. Like yeah, a, well, like a little Ibra icon. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so just going very quickly, 83 pace, 73 shot, 76 pass, uh, 82 dribbling, uh, 56 defending, and 76 physical, which better than my stats. So that's... Uh, Can he play as a wingback? Does it say on there? Like, Is it, that at a position that is available to him? It actually says... Uh, best position is central attacking midfield. There you go. Which is interesting. That's uh, good. It would seem like even though we we talked about you know needing a wing back, it would seem quite bizarre if like someone like Kulusevski comes in like, all right, we found a new wing back. But then imagine if that's Cote's plan all along. <laughs> then he's like, let's get him in wing back. No one will see it coming, and uh, then I'll be the hero. <laughs> that's what he wants to be the hero. Uh, again, really quickly, uh, further research. Uh, Benton Kerr, 78 overall rating. I always get disappointed if we sign someone that's under 80. That's a um, thumbs down. Yeah, that's a thumbs down. <laughs> that's a, that's Hang an on. emphatic boo. Hang yeah. on. Let's let's wait to hear the breakdown, though. What's the potential? 83. Oh, oh. So that's a bit disappointing. Hoybier is like 83 on FIFA. Yeah. He was 86 at one point. I think that was a glitch, though. Um Four star week. Well, Barney, though. was that your edit? <laughs> you <made> <laughs> yeah, I edited him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, four star skill moves. Uh, he's got a two star international reputation. It's unclear where that comes from. Uh, <laughs> 73 pace, 62 shot, 78 passing, 79 dribbling, 76 defense, and 77 physicality. So, two strong boys in the high 70s. <laughs> uh, we're going to be able to bash and crash. That's. Uh, that's a, that's exciting. Yeah, I, th- I think that's good. My limited scouting, he can get a tackle in. Bentaker? Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. pretty um, – and he likes to go forward. He's very yeah. Premier League oriented in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Okay. Well, apparently, according to this, he's a 79 in CDM. Um, so – can you bring up Luis Diaz? Oh, I've brought him up. Don't worry. As a little treat for you, I have brought him up. <laughs> it's your lucky day, Brendan. It's your lucky day. Uh, Spurs fans, the player that was stolen. Liverpool fans at Brendan, the player that you stole. Um, 83 overall. Okay. Potential, 86. Doesn't seem like someone that can grow. That uh, seems modest. That seems it's also modest. one below Kulisevsky, I think, for a potential. So. Ooh. Ooh, that's interesting. Although FIFA is horrendous at any league that's not Italy, uh, England, or Spain, it's like uh, take twenty points off. Yeah, <laughs> so, he's, he's he's in Portugal. We don't, they don't send their <laughs> scouts out there. No. <laughs> uh, four star weak foot, four star skill moves, one star international reputation. Well, they haven't heard about the Neymar comparisons, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Pace, 92. Uh, Shot, 80. Passing, 72. Dribbling, 86. Defending, 33. Physical, 72. 
was going to say, Barney, can you scroll down that page and see if there's a Brendan leaving a comment just like Neymar? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like Neymar. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there you go. That's all the scouting you really need. Yeah. You know, thanks, Adam, but yeah. Of course. That was 100% the best segment of the podcast. Thank so. you so much. <laughs> Um, so well, look, there's still a few hours to go in the window. Like, we're not going to go through all the plays we're linked with because now, you know, just having a quick flick through Twitter, everyone's coming up like, oh, we're going in for Carrasco. I saw oh, that. Oh, we're going for Kessie again. Uh, we're going for, like, it's just going to keep going until the window sort of slams shut. Um, but, yeah, I, don't, I, I still feel like, I don't know how you feel, Barney, but I feel like two getting two players who seem pretty decent in and can hopefully, play, you know, play sort of um, in Conte system and, and as he wants. And and they've got experience of being at a big, big club and a bigger club than, than we are. Um, I'm feeling pretty good if this is sort of where we end. And I think any player that we can get in, yeah, there are still some holes to fill, but any other player we can get in now is a bit of a bonus. And like, this has been a, overall a pretty good January window for us when it's been a window when we've never really done too much before, um, apart from, you know, bringing back like I think Jermaine Defoe once um, or signing in Louis Sahai and Ryan Nelson uh, under Harry Rednup to, to, for the title push. So <laughs> uh, how are you feeling, Barney, overall, like knowing that we've got at least two in the bag? I feel good that we've got two in the bag. I just feel like I have watched football long enough to not know how plays are going to go ever. Um, so the the proof will be over the next coming weeks when they actually play. Um, coming weeks, though, that's all I give them. So they get, <laughs> they get three weeks. <laughs> I just wanted to say I, I opened up Twitter and I was like, oh, Bergvine's trending. Why is that? And I clicked on it and first tweet, Fabrizio Romano confirmed Bergvine Tottenham to Ajax. And I was like, oh, my God, what? <laughs> and it's just the, the username is FabrizRom4NOO. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so got me. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'd feel weird. Like, I mean, Bergwijn obviously has had the heroics in the last, um, last week or so, but like, ultimately if he did go, like we would need to be bringing another player mm. in that, you know, who can play up front. <laughs> like, Bergwijn came from Ajax. Is that right? Or no, he came from PSV. Oh, damn. I was just hoping that Conte was just trying to send all your like previous signings back to where they came from. Did <laughs> 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 not buy back to Leon. <laughs> Bergwijn, wherever he came from. Holland, it doesn't matter. Whatever club. <laughs> He takes that saying literally. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 I yeah. hope. I I hope. That he's like, do you know the concept of life being a circle? The circle of life. <laughs> Have you seen the Lion King? And then he's just trying to send all these players back. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's hard to like because anything we we say is might date instantly. Um, but also probably won't because it will just be us being linked with Carrasco and then it'll be like, Dabala's in again and then nothing will happen. Yeah. Oh, um, no, the only thing that will happen is we're in for Dabala and then it won't come off because it's not actually true mm. and then all the Spurs fans, oh, what? Oh, we've stuffed up another bloody <laughs> yeah. signing. Like yeah. I think I'm just happy sort of that this window is just about over because it's been very, very tiring um, being on Twitter as a Spurs fan and seeing just the amount of infighting amongst everyone in the uh, sort of in that fan base online. And also so many people just thinking that they know exactly how transfers went down. And it's as if they were in the meeting rooms with everything going on. And there's just sort of so much anger, so much sort of hatred. And we do understand some of the frustration, but at the same time, like if you said at the start of this window, we're going to, you know, start actually shipping off players that we don't want anymore, as in 
Conte doesn't want anymore and bring in some replacements. Like we were never really expecting that to happen in January. So it's good to see that some moves are starting to to be made. And realistically, it's the big test is going to be over the summer where we're going to expect another sort of two to three signings to come in then. Yeah. Brendan, how do you feel about Liverpool's window? Is, is Diaz the only business I, that's been done? I have no idea at all. Yeah, I think that's the only one, or at least it's the only one that I've I've honed in on. Um, I think as well that, like, I was just thinking as you were talking, Dan, that, like, it, it's less common, it seems, now that signings happen just out of the blue. Like, there's such a big mm. run-in, it seems, because, like, there's so much information, there's so much leaking of, of information, whereas, like, five, ten years ago, it seemed like on deadline day, something could just pop up out of nowhere. But now it's like there's this whole run-in and it's like, it was as if like two or three days that these Juventus guys were signed and but now it's like just confirmed today. So it's like I don't know, it just makes me think it's unlikely that something major will happen in the next couple of hours, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think so. And I think there are a few clubs which I don't think Arsenal have made any moves. Like they might have signed one or two, but they were missing out on a bunch of players last time I checked. Um the thing I find funny about this is like uh, as working, you know, as a designer like I've been asked to sign NDAs when we're talking to clients who are a, you know, fish and chip shop down the end of the street. I love Yet that. In football, there's no NDAs for anything <laughs> because it's like any discussion, it seems to be like leaked to the press by one of the clubs or the agent or someone. Um, or it's, if they're not leaking to the press, they're going around calling all these other clubs. Like with Traore, like we, some fans got so annoyed we missed out on Traore, but um you know, for everything that we've heard from it, it's that like there was a deal agreed there. We weren't a hundred percent convinced on the transfer, so we didn't rush ahead with the with it. And then Barcelona have come in and offered more money, um, and because they're just desperate, because they really struggle to sign players out right now because they've just run their club horribly. Um, but you know, it's like it's who knows what's going to happen. We it, it's just so hard to predict now with sort of how many like backdoor deals are happening and all this sort of stuff that. Yeah, it's like, it's a bit of a sort of wild, wild west <laughs> situation out there. Yeah, it's crazy that despite the amount of information that seemingly is available, the reliability of that information has dropped dramatically because it's a method of negotiating for clubs and agents and players to leak things to the press, um, regardless of they, whether they're true or not, as to drive up a price or get a new contract or whatever it is. Um, yeah, it's fascinating times. 2022, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> fascinating times. The year, what a year. Um, well, I mean, I, I don't have anything else to say. Do you, Dan? Uh, no, I think that was good. Like, you know, overall, like I said earlier after chat chatting with Adam, like I do feel overall positive. Um, and it's just exciting to see what, what Conte can start doing with players that he's directly been around and I don't want to say responsible for bringing in, but has obviously played a role in that. Um, and yeah, I think it's, it's good. Like it makes for an exciting rest of the season. Like it looks like the top three are pretty much nailed on, but it really seems open for, for fourth. And I, I feel like we're in a pretty good chance to, sorry, a pretty good spot to, to challenge for that. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. I'm hopeful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm hopeful. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Brendan, any last thoughts? Um, no, I'm excited for the end of the season as well. I think that that was the one good thing about that signing for Liverpool because clearly they've been shorthanded through the African Cup of Nations. So I think um, hopefully hopefully City can start dropping some points because no one wants to see them win. Yeah, oh, I hope so. 
I hope so. I just want to see Pep Guardiola cry. That's what I want. Oh, that would be wonderful. It would be amazing. Well, uh, on that positive note, um, thank you very much for listening. Um, I've been Barney. I've been Dan. Thank you very much, Brendan. Do you want to say I'm Brendan? I am Brendan. Thanks, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, do you want to say your name, Brendan? (laughs) I'm Brendan. (laughs) Oh, no, do the the rest now. You take the floor. (laughs) Thanks for having me, guys. (laughs) No worries. It's always a pleasure. Um, (laughs) We'll be back once we uh, play a game. Um, Hope you're having a wonderful uh, evening. Morning, afternoon. I should never ever say a time because I don't know. I hope your experience right now is positive. Uh, have a- and, and Brendan, come on, you. Spurs. Yeah. <laughs> You've been listening to a bit Spursy. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Email us at hello at a bit and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. 